John Dempsey is a man from Toronto, Canada, who recently started his own business as a professional dungeon master. Is this a viable business model? And is there a market for more professional DMs? We discuss that and the untapped potential of tabletop role-playing games in this episode of Dungeons and Tangents. So, I read this article like a week or two ago about a guy who is a professional DM. It seems unique and new. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody's done it before. Gary Gygax? <laughs> well, no, not, not, not like Gary Gygax. Okay. Okay, right. I'll, I'll, I'll give as much of the story as I can give. I sometimes struggle if you're leading me to a conclusion. I'm, I'm, to... No, I'm just, I'm just bouncing things off. Okay, here. all right. Anyway, so uh, this guy, what is his name? Sorry. His name is John Dempsey uh, from Toronto, Canada. So that might be part of the equation is you have to be Canadian. But <laughs> anyway, uh, he has been running D&D since uh, the 80s as a DM. And uh, at some point he was like, hey, I'm just going to gonna put it out there. I'll do it for hire. Like I'll, I will run games i'll be the dm for you if you pay me money and he said at first it was just like nothing nobody was interested i can't remember how long he said but it was a a while let's see here oh well i'm I'm looking at it right here he said for a month and a half didn't get any calls and then you know after a month and a half if you've started a new business and you got absolutely no customers you're gonna think what what am i doing wrong here and then he started he got his first call and then that grew and grew, and he said uh, he is currently servicing 14 different groups. Uh, and he said it's not his full-time gig now, but he's getting paid to be a DM. All right, now you understand. Discuss. I, th- I think that if I ran two groups, that'd be a full-time gig for me. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you could do 14. That's a, that's a lot. That's pretty serious. I'm guessing he's got a lot of... Reusing material. I would assume that he's yeah running the same modules and all that, and they're, and they're completely different groups. Because if you're coming up with different content for each one of those, <laughs> first of all, how do you keep it straight? And second <laughs> of all, how true. do you just produce that much? That's insane, right? Well, you could be running Minds of Fandelver with like six of those groups. Yeah, and then he's just like, okay, where did we leave off when he starts the game? Suppose. Yeah. And so the, the business model that he's going with is, his understanding is people who play D&D, uh, who played D&D in the 80s, a lot of them are professionals now. Yeah. They're working jobs like you and I. That makes sense. And they don't have time to prep. Like nobody in their group of friends wants to be the DM. They just don't have time. So why not pay somebody to do it? I wonder... Um I'm, I'm not so full of myself to think that this individual will ever listen to us, but um, <laughs> and I, I don't want to. I'll tweet at him. Throw something out there that's going to uh, ruin things. It's not like he's living the dream, right? Yeah. But if you're running 14 groups, I think that there is an environmental situation going on there that facilitates that. One, mm-hmm. you've got enough people. Who want a game, but not enough people who want to run a group, right? And mm-hmm. they don't. And they, maybe they don't even want. They maybe they don't know they want a game, 
They just, you know, they like, oh, hey, I've heard about this. It's mm-hmm. getting popular. Let's let's try it, right? How long can he run 14 groups before he just starts churning out DMs who completely take away all of his demand? Oh, the people within his groups decide, yeah. I just like, want oh, to This is DM cool. Out. I'll run a game, right? Well, maybe. But, um, I mean, I was assuming D&D is going to continue to be more popular all the time. I think it is, and I can get into that thought process later. But mm-hmm. he 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 may put himself out of business by running games and convincing others to be DMs. But I think his business model is appropriate in that he is seeking out people who don't have time to do it. I suppose. And do they not have time? They don't have time to learn. And then once they play, for I think while, it's the learn. It's the like you know when I run a game, I spend. God, I don't know. Probably like five hours for every hour of gameplay for prep. doing prep. Yeah. Right. So we're not talking about we don't have time. We're not time to run the game. You don't have time to do all the things aside from running the game that go into being the person who runs the game. Yeah. Because right? yeah. it can be very involved. Oh yeah. I mean, I. Ah, yeah. I just I I go overboard. I've I've started to get better and better, and I know that running a regular game is going to help me. Well, when I run a regular game. I get better about prepping faster. <clears throat> and I'm sure he's great at it now. He could probably yeah. just like show up and improvise half of it. And I, w- I would think that with all of his experience, the more he does it, the more experience he's going to be at doing it. There is a, a lot of history doing it that regardless of how many people play and decide that they want to run a game. And I think that if he's doing a really good job, he's going to inspire people to want to run a game. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. But they're still going to be like... But he does a really good job. I, st- I still want to play with him. So I'm sure that I, I would hope that he's he doesn't have anything to worry about in that respect. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Just this is an interesting topic in that that I have immediately started thinking about the business side of it, <laughs> which is not really what we talk about usually. No, in this. So I don't know. When I think about business, the first thing is thing like I start to poke holes in things. Just, <laughs> yeah, because that's how I prove something. It's like if if I can poke a hole in it, then I can disprove it. But if I can't, then it's not yeah. viable. And so and I think that's that's pretty cool that you can do that. So for for the uh, benefit of our our listeners, my job, uh, my job title is senior business analyst. So looking at a business and, and understanding how that it functions and how it can make money and grow is kind of that's what i do um and 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 i look at this and i see it's not easy to grow this business but i think it's a sustainable business uh and a big part of that is online aspect if he gets press and he isn't known dm for hire then people are going to be like hey i got these like four friends we hang out online and we play skyrim together but we'd love to play Right. D&D together, can you hook something up? He's like, I, have, I got some Roll20 set up right now. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it's interesting that so many people are monetizing tabletop right now from um, an entertainment standpoint, like a mass entertainment standpoint, mm. um, streaming, oh. all of that. Yeah, Whereas he's of- much more like... The people who are physically there are the ones paying him. So yeah, it's like a it's like a a D and D consultant. That's a lot of hustle, right? I mean, like, yeah. man, that's got to be a lot of work to do. I should say before we go any further, uh, the article that I am referring to was written on Motherboard, 
so motherboard.vice.com, and the person who wrote the article is Jacob Dubay. I just want to give credit to the person who oh. wrote it. Um, so if you look up uh, Jacob Dubay with the E with an uh, uh, accent sure. on the E. We could probably link the article on our show yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, I'll, I'll link the article as well. But if you're just listening and you don't, you're, yeah, I just want to give credit where credit's due. Oh, that's excellent. So, I, I, you know one thing I've never really looked into? I, I accidentally <coughs> downloaded a podcast once that wasn't in English. And <laughs> me being lazy, I, I know one language, English, so I, it was, <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. But I wonder how much there is out there content. In other, other languages. languages, yeah. So, hmm. I mean, if, if I mean, could it, um, you know, French, Italian, um, there's all kinds of other languages. They've got to be playing D and D. I'm sure they print those books in yeah. every language they possibly can. They do. I've I've looked into. I haven't looked into specific. Like I haven't looked at other language uh, modules, but it is printed in like German, French, Spanish. But I don't see that represented. When I go on YouTube or on Twitch or when I look at podcasts, I wonder if it's an untapped market if, if he's, you know, has the ability to do that. Know. I mean, he is from Canada. They do sometimes speak of the French. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, that'd be interesting if he's doing this and all of a sudden this article, you know, gains traction and blows right. up and he starts sh- streaming and, and it could change his whole life, right? Yeah. After it sounds like so, just recently having his whole life changed, and <laughs> I mean that'd be pretty cool. So here is why I think this is one of the reasons why I think this is viable. D and D, it kind of has cornered the market as being the tabletop role playing game. Mm-hmm. And tabletop role playing, while it it sounds like a niche market, I don't think it's a niche market. I think it's a market that has not seen its full potential because if we look at all of the forms of entertainment that there are, there are, um, there's books and there's movies, uh, and all of the visual media, there's music, there's theater. Every single one of those is a one way media. It is a media where you are consuming, but you don't interact Okay. And then there's things like video games and, I don't know, paintball and sports. Things where you are interacting, but it's a relatively limited sort of interactions. Now, sports can get, if, if you're into sports, it can get very exciting and you can be extremely engaged in it because there's more of a, there's a, you could say there's a narrative to it. If a narrative to it it's, it's something that you could go on your backyard and actually experience on a smaller scale certainly yeah. but I mean <clears throat> I'm, but, I'm not going out and slaying little dragons no <laughs> I mean there, there's a connection there that we don't get with most things in our entertainment world right yeah D&D has something it, it I feel like D&D all tabletop role playing games are a different beast than any form of entertainment that exists out there uh, similar to sports, in so much as it is interactive, and uh, each each player of a sport or a tabletop game changes 
the environment sets the tone to they 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 change the narrative through their actions okay uh, whereas if I'm sitting and I'm reading a book, I'm not changing the narrative unless it's a you know one of those um, choose your adventure. Yes, those, but those suck because it's a very limited set of choices. Sorry, did I just hurt your feelings? Well, no, because <laughs> um, you're wrong. But <laughs> I was just thinking that they actually there was a, a limited run of some books that were choose your own adventure like. Some of them were. We're licensed for D&D. Some of them were something else. It was like Lone Wolf or something where oh, yeah. you would do Choose Your Adventure, but it, you would get stats. And so you, you would – your health would go down. So if you chose certain things, like oh, it would say you take this much brilliant. damage and then your health would go down. So depending on which choices you did, you may read zero health or not. Um, and those are pretty cool. <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. But no. It just reminded me of that. I guess – so – Tabletop role-playing games did not exist until, like, 1974, effectively. That's when D&D came out. Okay. And here's, here's the rest of my thought process about D&D being an untapped market. <clears throat> when... <clears throat> so this is, this is a new form of media, an interactive form of media, that um, hasn't existed before. And anything that's new, it takes a little bit for people to get moving on it like really interested in for it to spread but what happened with D&D is that it started getting going between 74 and like 79 and then D&D got hit with this public backlash the whole satanic panic people are uh, committing suicide because of this game it's for nerds it's for you know it was pushed away from mainstream as far as possible during the entirety of the 80s. Okay. <laughs> okay, it was known by the mainstream, but stigmatized by the mainstream. It was. But, um, I think that there are other factors there that you may not be considering. There may be. And I, I don't know if this is a different episode or not, but if you think about it, the, all those things happened, and it kind of stifled a, a push. That it was getting at that time, right? Mm-hmm. Now, at the same time, on a mass scale, we're bringing in affordable, relatively feasible electronic gaming into the living room. That's true. Right? And so all of a sudden, D&D had this sweet spot, this one of opportunity where people are fucking bored, right? And it is a massively entertaining game. To the point where today, I mean, if you talk about an ape at Nintendo, you know, me playing Zelda, which I will still pop in a couple of times, you know, every couple of times a decade and, and want to play because it's yeah. amazing. But with all the stuff that we have today, VR and all that, I still want to play D&D. That's how yeah. powerful entertaining that is. But it was the only game in town for that kind of an experience. It had this massive opportunity just to explode. Then what you're talking about happened... Yeah. Which kind of, you know... Dampened it. Dab- dampened it. And then inject this readily available other media in there that probably felt a lot more accessible and a lot more accepted. Yes. And then you you kind of... It may have added 15, 20 years onto D&D really exploding. Right. And I think that's, I think that's exactly... That fits into the narrative that I've got. 
in my head, the, the story about how D&D is still an untapped potential yeah. or still has untapped potential. And that is that video games pulled our generation in and away from tabletop things. And now you've got, uh, I don't know, two, three generations of people who have effectively, I don't know how many generations, it's hard to delineate generations anymore, but um, like 30 years worth of people who have grown up with digital devices and we've kind of burnt out. Like we, I, I, I wouldn't say burnt out, but we've gotten to the point where we realize that digital devices have a place and that place isn't always being our yes. only entertainment. It's, well, it's, I want, yeah, I, I don't know that burnout is the right expression, but it's so <coughs> ubiquitous that it's not special anymore. Yeah, it's taken for exactly. granted. It's just, it's just part of the landscape now. It's not like, oh, look at my Game Boy, right? Oh, jeez. I didn't spend my entire summer mowing lawns to get my smartphone. It's just, <laughs> I have to have it. I literally can't do my job without it because right. I, I rely on it so much now. Um, but now we had this first interaction or this intersection where D&D took a hit, home consoles came in, and it was competition, right? Yeah. And... It just—it was the perfect moment for it to kind of swoop in and take that spotlight away from D and D. And then we have this second in- intersection, just in the past few years, where D and D and technology hit, and instead of being competition, one facilitates the other. Twitch with streaming, YouTube with videos, uh, you know, Apple and, and podcasts and all that. All of a sudden, instead of that technology trying to take your attention away from D and D, it's letting you experience D and D more. <laughs> In a better way, with people who may not be in the same city as you, right? It's yeah. it's letting you play D and D instead of trying to pull you away from it, and then D and D explodes. Right, it's everywhere. Right, and that's so that's that's exactly what I've been thinking, and this comes back around to uh, Mr. Dempsey, John Dempsey, the guy who's mm-hmm. now making money as a DM. I don't know that it's going to be a. a large market for professional DMs, but what he's doing is facilitating something that there's a need for. There's a need for people uh, to run games of D&D. How often in the last, I don't know, um, six months have you said, I want to play D&D? And my response is, oh, yeah, I should do that. I don't know. I don't know how often I say it and how often I think it and don't say it. <laughs> okay. It's often. Let's just say that. Yeah. Right? And you're not the only one. Like uh, Michaela, uh, who, who also works with us and has played D&D with us, she said it to me. She's like, oh, it'd be great to play some D&D. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I, gotta, I, guess I should do that. <laughs> but if it was like, if it was the cost of going to a movie... Like each player pays, I don't know, ten bucks, twenty bucks for a game. Would that pay enough for somebody to come in and uh, run D and D? Well, if you think about it, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. It, it depends on where you live, the cost of living, you know, all of that. There's a lot of different factors there. But but what I'm pointing out is that. What we pay f- to go see Guardians of the Galaxy 2, if you paid that instead to a DM, 
you'd get a far more engaging experience. Well, I don't know. Maybe Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is a good movie. Maybe I should have used something like... Uh... Well, I think... No, I think it's a perfect example because oh, okay. it's enjoyable. Yeah. Right? And you have fun and it takes you on a ride and it's and it's great and it's great content and you, <clears throat> you, you, you walk out of there not regretting the money you spent. Yeah. So I think that's a great analog for somebody playing for D&D, assuming that it's done well and all that. And it's also a, a great kind of example in that if you think about it this guy can be the person who people go in and they pay $20 to see Guardians of the Galaxy and that's how he's compensated or he can be the person who makes Guardians of the Galaxy and people right. all over the country play it right and at that point we're talking about that streaming model where he's yeah. on Twitch or YouTube and he's streaming that content out and if he's got that much hustle to be running over 10 games at the same time <laughs> There's not a doubt in my mind that he can do that and make that happen. Right? Oh yeah. Um, so I think this 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 individual is probably just getting started. I hope so, and I'm fascinated to see if this happens in the future. Like if others pick this up. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, uh, I wonder if he could franchise it without getting in trouble with Watsy. <laughs> I'm sure he could. Maybe. Uh-huh. No. I, if you're listening, talk to Eric, and he's going to help you get set up with Yeah, franchises. just uh, reach out to us at Dungeon underscore Tangent on Twitter. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, I think that's, uh, that's all we have for this episode. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Here's an update on Knowledge History D&D. I'm currently writing the next three episodes, but due to the time necessary to write, record, and edit, they might be slightly delayed. In our next discussion episode, we'll be talking about how to run the game in a theater of the mind style, removing all maps, miniatures, and other props, and relying only on our imaginations. As always, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can do so on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent, or go to our website, DungeonsAndTangents.net. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us.